Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another stimulating conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am super excited to have this conversation for personal reasons, for professional reasons. Our guest today is Mark Smolowitz, who is a film producer, a longtime, lifelong advocate of the queer community, of the gifted community, of so many others. You've got a body of work that really has used your art and your craft to change the world in profound and powerful ways. So really honor the work that you've done. Um, I got a chance to look at some of it before we, we've met, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. So Mark, welcome. Thank you so much, Elaine. It's really my treat to be here to talk to you today. I'm so excited. So we're going to dive in, y'all. We're going to, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you came to be doing the work that you do that supports families of what we like to call complex kids. Today, we're going to talk specifically about trans youth and giftedness. There's a documentary you're working on in particular that we're going to talk about. So tell us how you got here. Like, why this? Why now? Great, great. Well, first of all, I love the phrase complex kids. Um, I meet and interact with complex kids all the time. Um, I was probably a pretty complex kid myself. As was I. Yeah, I was a gifted young person in the 70s. I was a product of gifted education in the public schools in the 70s. I am openly queer. Um, I am an ally of trans people of all ages. And I really lean into, you know, gender diversity, which is, you know, non-binary, non-conforming. You know, there's a lot of different ways that, that folks who are gender diverse express their identities. And I celebrate them all. Um, that's awesome. how I roll. Uh, how I roll. Um, so I am an independent filmmaker. I'm very fortunate to do the work that I love. Based yeah. in Francisco. I've been in the industry for 30 years, and I have made many movies about LGBTQ plus issues. Um, I've worked with a number of trans artists and helped tell their stories. There have been trans characters and trans issues in many of my films over the years. And the way that I sort of jokingly and lovingly describe it is that I didn't just, you know, wake up in 2015 and start <laughs> thinking about the trans community when Laverne Cox appeared on the cover of Time magazine. Now, that was an incredibly important moment for trans folk facing the mainstream. And she's an amazing right. face of that. But I have been in community with folks for 30 years. I came of age in the late 80s, early 90s as part of the AIDS movement. So I was an activist in the ACT UP group um, in Queer Nation. Um, and that was a critically defined time for me in my life where I really expanded the sort of 
definition of diversity, you know, for myself and for the communities that I wanted to sort of be a part of and also help support and walk the walk with and for. So the concept of allyship was a very early uh, kind of epiphany for me. I was in many rooms as a young activist and a young filmmaker where there were trans folk who felt invisible. Many identified more in the drag community, um, which may be very familiar to your followers because of, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race and all that wonderful mainstream success. But there have been folks doing drag for a long time. And a lot of folks who were sort of in the drag space were actually trans and gender diverse. And it was sort of safer for them to be in the drag space um, in the gay and lesbian community in that context. And, and then the 90s started to kind of break open these discussions in our, you know, in our gay and lesbian community. Um, we first embraced the word queer. Um, and the concept of the word queer was actually quite intentional. It was a word that we grabbed hold of because other people used it to hurt us. I was going to say reclaimed the word queer is how yes. I was. I would say yeah, that. you that's the next word that was going to come out of my mouth. We, it was about reclaiming a negative word and making it a powerful word for ourselves. And there's lots of photo archives of me standing at Queer Nation protests, kissing boys and holding holding signs. And, you know, I did, you know, that whole sort of visibility movement in the 90s. And then, of course, we um, and then the gay community became quite mainstream, you know, as a result of that success. Moving through the arc of my life and my work. The way I describe community and how this has all have evolved over years is that, you know, we take 10 steps forward, four steps back, eight steps forward, 23 steps back. You know, uh, culture shifts, culture changes, and identities are always in the mix in how those changes move us along as a civil society. Interestingly, when I started making the movie that we're going to talk a little bit about here today, which is called The G Word, it's a film that's broadly about giftedness. Right. And that movie began in really in 2012. The first email came in my inbox in 2012 and sort of piqued my interest. And I started to see that because I had been a gifted kid, I had been someone who had benefited from gifted education um, in the public schools in the 1970s. I remembered what that felt like. I remembered what it felt like to be met as a student at my level, to be mm -hmm. surrounded by other students who got me and vice versa and teachers and administrators who got me and vice versa. Right. What and so what a, um, and what an amazing gift that is. Exactly. When gifted yeah. education works, it is a gift. It's, right. it's the absolute gift. It's, it's, it's such an interesting sort of, you know, double meaning there. Um, so I had great memories. Um, and then as I was doing my research, I saw many traumatic narratives. That was what was immediately confronting me. Um, this kind of grew over several years. I knew that if I was going to be the first filmmaker to really make the largest, most ambitious film about giftedness in the documentary space, that I'd better do it right. Um, and that it had to be deeply researched and that it had to be founded on deep networks of trust and collaboration with folks who've been doing the work in the community for years. You know, I don't believe in just sort of showing up and throwing cameras on people. I have to make sure that I'm the right filmmaker that I can be of service and that there's some important, impactful work here to be done. And well, so that's let me just interrupt for one second, because sure. my, what I want to acknowledge in what you're saying is that when you're dealing with traumatic narratives and you're dealing with anything in that realm of trauma, being yes. trauma informed is an essential part of, of serving and moving the needle forward instead of throwing people back. And so that that awareness yeah. you bring was part of really honoring the trauma that people yeah, experience. Yeah. You know, as, as someone who had been living with HIV for a long time, my background is I'm Jewish and my mother and grandparents were Holocaust survivors from Poland. So I had that sort of understanding of how intergenerational trauma yeah. sort of rings on, on my actual physical body as well as in my DNA. 
Right. Um, those were all things I understood very, very early on in my journey. And for whatever, you know, sort of gifts from, you know, the gods and goddesses, you know, I was able to be someone who could sort of tap into wells of resiliency for myself and for others. Yeah. Um, and that's not always the case for folks who live, live with and through trauma, right? For some folks, it can just be, you know, devastating. You know par- yeah. paralyzing and devastating. Right. And, you know, and I'm not saying I haven't had my challenges, I certainly have, but I think for, you know, for whatever reason, I think the power of storytelling and my skills and my craft over the arc of my adult life have really allowed me to, to sort of, you know, learn how to take care of myself, do the same on behalf of others at times. So that was sort of the message that was coming through in the gifted community that this is the guy who's going to make a movie that is trying to be inclusive, trying to be honor diversity, Definitely thinking about equity. As we went public that I was making the movie, I had landed on a question that I was asking, which is who gets to be gifted in America and why? And oh, huge. <laughs> yeah. And all about access, all about equity. And and then kind of found stories around this great nation that I wanted to tell. There's actually seven of them in the movie. And one of them is queer. And I always highlight that just one is queer. So, you know, it's like just one of seven, so, right? So... Can I ask you a question about it? Because we're in my experience with that, where I think because there's a lot of ways that equity and diversity show up mm-hmm. because I work with a population of neurodiversity. Oftentimes, really, really, really bright, gifted kids are not given access to gifted education because mm-hmm. there's a learning disability and ADHD is something else that's that's interfering and they don't meet the criteria. They don't, you know, Absolutely. hit that right. number on the test, whatever it is. Absolutely. So this was, you know, clear very early on as I was developing the movie, um, you know, in this sort of gifted world, they talk about the, we use the word exceptionalities, right? So twice exceptional or thrice exceptional or multi-exceptional. And this idea that someone can be very smart and gifted on the one hand, but have some learning differences on the other, that is at the backbone of this movie, right? right? So the idea of this movie is that neurodiversity is actually a vertical of identity that is as important and critical in the 21st century as sex, gender, race, class, and zip code. Okay. Love so our, <laughs> yeah, our stories are, they're kind of peppered with neurodiversity all across everyone that we tell. There's one that is super focused on telling you that journey through the sort of lens of a twice exceptional set of twins and their mom and kind of micro school that she, she formed out of a homeschooling community to sort of right. Helps really save their, their lives. <laughs> and there's a lot of gender diversity in her school, as you can imagine. But what started to happen was that as I started doing public speaking at gifted conferences, and I was openly gay, confidently so, right. talking the talk of, you know, sort of all these different things that were going on in gifted. Um, one of the stories I had uncovered, I met two young people in Los Angeles who were, they were part of an early entrance program at Cal State Los Angeles. So for your listeners and watchers, there's a, there are about 12 universities around the country that allow tweens and teens who are gifted to go to college full time. And many of them are in prestigious schools that you know we would expect them to be at. But I found one at Cal State Los Angeles, which is a public university in inner city LA, multiracial, right. multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual people, you know, ages, ages 11 to 80, you know, at school. Right. And I was quite interested in those 11 year olds. Like what gets an 11 year old interested in going to college? College. How does that happen? Right. But yeah. First story that I identified because I grew up, grown up in Los Angeles part of my life. And I was really interested in sort of the diversity of that, of that place in the country. And I, 
sat with six young people that was, that the program had kind of chosen for me to meet. I did some pre-interviews and I, and I had six people that I, I identified that I wanted to kind of spend a week with. And two of them came out to me on camera. And one of them came out to me as being sort of on a gender journey mm-hmm. and sort of explained that they had just, you know, kind of begun the journey of a name change. And so, you know, as the queer filmmaker who they were talking to, they felt comfortable with me. They trusted me. They wanted to tell their story. I was going to say, and, and they knew what they were doing. Yes. Oh, God. Right. Very, two very, very smart, 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 smart people. Right. <laughs> and their names are Ilan and Church. And long story short, it's now six years later, and both of them are now, they're now a romantic couple. Elon has transitioned. Church is sort of, you know, non-binary trans and on hormones, hasn't done the full transition, but is sort of in that zone. And they live in Savannah, Georgia, and I have kind of continued to follow them over the arc of making the movie. So you see them sort of before transition, very early on, beginning their gender journey, and then you see them now really as these very fully realized folks who, um, and together the two of them helped me explore in the movie, the ways that gender identity, the brain, creativity, neurodiversity, and intelligence kind of all intersect under the banner of giftedness. And it's really quite moving. It's really, really quite moving. Um, and can you hit those again? Cause that was really do you yeah, think it's gender, identity, creativity, the brain, neurodiversity, you know, how all those things sort of come together right. under the banner of giftedness, you know? So, right. so our movie really believes that giftedness and neurodiversity are part of the same conversation. I'm, you know, I'm really an advocate for that. Most Great. of the folks in the gifted world that I interact with, that we try to support, that we're in partnership with through our movie also advocate for that. Um, I think there are a lot of neurodiverse advocates who don't feel like they're a part of the gifted world. And so there's sort of- Well, it it has to do with how performance shows up. So I would say that when parents call me, there are two things I hear from parents more than anything else. One is I'm desperate. Yes. And the other is, and so we have, in that case, it's about how do I get you out of desperation and into inspiration so you can really support your kid. And then the other is my kid's really smart, but- Yep. And so when a really, really smart kid is underperforming for whatever reason, that connection to giftedness feels really far away. Right. You know, know, exactly. And I think part of what is so interesting in what you just described is that it is so locked in by our binary perceptions of like sort of how language helps us think about smart, dumb, you know. Right. queer straight you know it's 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 not everything is these things exist more in liminal spaces in between and most folks are somewhere on a continuum no no one is just one thing over here right we're always swinging we're always on a journey and our identities really inform how our brains how our intelligence actually interact with civil society and school and that you know, first 18 years or so of your life are such a critical part of how your identities are formed. And so when I started speaking at these gifted conferences, I, first of all, two things happened. One, I noticed that there were a lot of trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming tweens and teens and young people in the room that right. could not see it. How could I not see it? Because I've spent my whole adult life interacting with trans exactly. folks, right? And then their parents were coming up to me 
and wanting to talk about the pronoun thing and wanting to understand (laughs) how they could be a better advocate for their child and wanting to talk about how giftedness and transness and gender diversity are playing out in their family story and in their school. I early on in 2017, I met a mom at a conference who, you know, when I met her, she was a shell of a person in many ways. She was challenged by two gender diverse children in a suburban district in Minneapolis, in greater Minneapolis, and really having a hard time. Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to take credit for this, but, you know, five years later, she's now on the school board and she's now doing deep community work on behalf of other families who are in a similar situation. And I, this is something I see a lot in the gifted and twice exceptional milieu are parents who have an epiphany. They do incredibly powerful and advocating on behalf of their children, but then they transfer that into helping other families and their larger community. Or parents who make it through the gauntlet. And then realize, I mean, my story is Mm -hmm. I didn't want other parents to go through what I went through those first 10 years, but I couldn't have done anything about it while I was in the middle of it. It had to be after I'd gotten through it and started figuring out how to navigate being with it differently that I was able to come back and and give back. So sometimes it's about going through the arc of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And most parents want to give back because they don't want to see other families suffer. Um, And, you know, families and schools and communities, you know, want to be virtuous, you know, kind of spaces. And they do. Their their intention is good most of the time. So I I want to be mindful of our time here, Mark, because because you're because I love your story and I think it's it's really useful for parents and I want to I want to focus us a little bit. It, it strikes me that in the early years you were part of ACT UP, right? <laughs> so we're here, get used to it. Mm-hmm. And you've now spent three decades since helping people get used to it. Yes. <laughs> so I really want to honor that work, right? So what do you want parents of these complex kids, kids with trans youth, with giftedness, what do you want them to understand better? So that they can have an impact, a positive impact on their kids as they want. Absolutely. Well, what I want them to first understand is that they're not alone. (laughs) That's a critically important message. I want them to understand that, yes, their priority is to be there and support their child, but they also have to take care of themselves and that they're also on their own journey. Okay. One of the movies I worked on, which is a really powerful film that I recommend everyone who's listening watch, is called Real Boy. It came out in 2016. It's called Real Real Boy. R-E-A-L, real boy, um, about a young trans kid and his journey. Um, And one of the most critical aspects of that story is his mom, right? And his mom's journey and how she was initially very on board having a lesbian queer daughter. And then when she understood that she had a trans son, it was much more difficult for her. So I think parents have to really you know, lean into the fact that they're on a journey too, right? And so they're learning how to sort of, you know, be a parent of a trans or gender gender non-binary child, and they're going to be playing catch up, right? They're going to have to work that much harder to get used to changing how they speak and, you know, um, opt in for they, them, and, you know, and sort of different ways of thinking about language and how to describe their own experience as a parent, right? I mean, one thing that I will, I always say, and maybe you've heard this or know this yourself, is that they, them is a singular pronoun. Okay. It is grammatically right. correct. 
is endorsed by dictionaries and yep. journalistic circles. And so we actually can all bring they, them into our speaking and writing patterns and be grammatically correct and respectful if we don't know exactly what someone's gender is. So I typically, as a rule for myself for years, I have first referred to people as they, they. more as they're by their name. Then I jump to he or she because more often than not, people in my network could be, you know, changing their pronouns, you know, as they're doing So let's speak to this for a second, because I think I love that where you're going is self-care for parents and, and self-awareness yeah. for parents, which is always one of our defaults. And I've had this, this discussion with my kids, because none of my kids are really what you would call gender conforming in one way or another. And my, my son believes that there's nobody of this generation that's really gender conforming fully. Um, You'll see. Right. We shall see. But, but there is, so when this, when our process started, when one of my kids started transitioning um, or becoming aware and, and sharing that information, you know, we started saying, hang on, give me a second to get my head around this. And, and the feedback we got from our kids initially was this isn't about you. It's about me. Yeah. And I was trying to say, yeah, it is about you. And what happens to you is also about me. And I'm trying to get my head around it. So work with me here. My kids, I think, have been very generous in many ways, saying thank you when I use correct pronouns, correcting Mm -hmm. me gently when I didn't or don't, because I still get it wrong sometimes. And there's also there was this kind of defensiveness about from my kids. that's like, this is not about you. So can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I think that's perfectly normal, right? I mean, a young person who was on a journey with his, her, their identity is, you know, very much about, you know, holding that close to their own experience and doesn't want a parent necessarily to be responding to that in real time every minute of every day. That's a natural teenagery type kind of response to anything a parent might do. But I do think that, it, you know, you are the parent, they are still growing and changing and evolving. And I think what we need to think out loud about is that we have to listen to our kids, trust that they're right. You know, these, you know, there's, a, we, we don't have time for this today, but there are a lot of anti-trans folks and de-trans, de-transition folks and all this crazy oh that I, makes me sick that really don't trust kids. And our gifted kids, our neurodiverse kids are extremely tuned in to who they are and are able to parse out things in deep and beautiful ways that we have to be excited about, not afraid of, right? And so there is fear in things that are new and different. Parents who have not encountered it before will, will feel fear. And that's a natural, natural experience. But I do, because parents want their kids to be safe in the world and right. not be Right, which is what motivates that. most of the parents I who come to me yeah, who are trying to figure out how do I help my kid and still support right. them and yeah. Right. Who wants who wants to invite trauma into a child's experience? Who wants to invite right. discrimination into a child's experience? No one, right? But your child is who they are in front of you, and you have to respond to that. And you also have to expect and fight for your child's school to do the same, right? right. So if, if family and if home and school are a system that are supposed to work for, towards the well-being and not harm the child, right, which is what I believe. I was going to say, what and, a great vision. Yeah, yeah. right? That's, you know, <laughs> You know, it's kind of utopia, but it, you know, it should be how this works. And you have to hold on to those big goals, right? And so I think I think that we have to listen to kids, we have to trust them. Most of them are telling us something very true about their gender. They may not right. have always the right words. And the other thing I'll I'll remind people is that gender starts very early. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, 
differently than sex. Sex sex can start early, but it typically really kind of kicks into gear at puberty, right? Like that's right. when a, that's when romantic love and sex really become quite, you know, a thing for young people. But gender can start to make itself, you know, very clear to a child, you know, it you know, as when they're a toddler, you know, and that can really be visible. So there are, you know, we have to be looking at that gender and sex is on a different timeline, right? Right. And while they are often conjoined in conversations around identity and experience, they actually are kind of separate timelines. And so I think it it may surprise, you know, some parents that their non-binary child is emerging at ages four, five, six, seven, and eight, and nine, but, you know, now with all the images and media that are available to young people where they're seeing themselves more and diversely at an early age, and their schools are also verifying that this is a real op- op- option for them, they're making meaning out of that. And you don't, it's not just this creation. I, this is the main message I want to, I want to highlight here today is that it's not, it's not your child fabricating something, you know, they're making meaning out of their identity experience in real time, and they're going to land where they're going to land. And, you know, your job around, you know, whether you choose, you know, trans affirming therapy, or, you know, or certain kinds of hormonal blockers, or all this kind of stuff early, that's a personal choice for a parent to kind of work through and decide what the right timeline is for that. The child doesn't get to decide that, right? So I do think you'd never stop being the parent making the safe, informed healthcare choices that you need to make, but you have to surround yourself with healthcare people who can also have those conversations with you, right? Consciously so, and intentionally and informed. So let me let me ask you a question because because one of the bits of feedback I get from parents, I'm thinking about a mom who called recently with a 12 year old in the UK mm-hmm. who's, who came home and said, you know, I want to go by different pronouns. I want to transition. Part of what happens when you've got kids kind of 12 to 15 is that's a time when kids are already trying on different things. So there is a fear yeah. that parents have right now, particularly if there was no evidence leading up to it. Now I can look back on my kid's life and I can, you know, starting at, as an infant, I can see the signs, but if there was nothing leading up to it and you've got a kid who has a tendency to kind of try on things and see what other people are doing and mimic other behaviors, how does a parent know when it's something to really trust and when the kid is, is just trying something on? I think even if the child is trying something on, it's something to trust. support it. Great. Yeah, that's my feeling. Um, I mean, I think that there are children who will sort of learn about they, them pronouns and want to try them on. I mean, remember what I said before, they're singular pronouns and yeah. they may fit a child's worldview of how they want to see themselves in relationship to their friends, their community and themselves, right? If they yeah. feel like a they, they, them, like that's enough for them to sort of try to experiment with it. I, you know, name changes are, you know, who knows what, you know, motivates a child, right? But I think, I think more often than not, like, the children who are trying something on, if we support them in that exploration and experimentation, they're gonna they're gonna land where they need to land. Land and be well, be their authentic self. And what you're saying is, at the end of the day, the parent still makes the medical decisions, and so yes, there's this. So the other thing that I see coming up a lot is is kids who are beginning to come to their parents and go through it and re- completely refusing therapy. Any thoughts on that? That the parents are refusing? Or? No, the kids are refusing therapy. Oh, that's interesting. You mean, so their parents notice all these gender changes? No, the kids are coming up and saying, I can't want to transition. I want to whatever. Call me by this name. No, I won't go to a therapist. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, if, if, if a child is doing well and doesn't I'm not, need to- Most of my parents are not dealing with kids who are doing well. 
that, that feels that feels not you know I, I think you know mental health is part of health right so right. if a parent is seeing a kind of mental health journey unfolding for a child and needs outside support like I would absolutely you know encourage a parent you know to look for that kind of support and to involve the child in that you know whether or not the child wants it well sometimes children want, you know don't want things that are good for them right, right. so that's or cool. they're not ready for it yeah or they're not ready yeah um any messages for parents to use with their kids in that environment wow i mean you know it's, i want to sort of honor out loud that i'm not a parent right so right. i'm 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 actively an uncle i have two beautiful nieces who are in their 20s and i've been fortunate to have them grow up around me they're both cisgender and heterosexual but they've grown up in San Francisco, so they're very right. liberal, and they've gone to the schools here, and they've been exposed. Um, so I've seen things sort of through their eyes. But I also have a number of kind of friends who are, you know, straight and have had kids who are who I've watched grow up, who have gone through journeys over the last 20, 30 years, and. You know, everything I can say about what I've noticed is that, you know, parents have to trust themselves, you know, and parents can make mistakes and can learn in real time to kind of fix those mistakes and not make those mistakes again. You know, everyone is imperfect <laughs> and yep. is on a journey. Um, so if you're a parent, if you're a parent and you're struggling how to talk about your kid's health with your kid, like you just have to keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the main message. Keep trying. So Mark, I could talk to you all day and we are actually way over time. And so let people know how to find out more about you and about G Word. And uh, you sure. mentioned another documentary. So anything you want us to include, you can send us. We'll put it in the show notes. But how can people find out more? Sure. Well, so um, I'm Mark Smolowitz, and the movie I'm making is The G Word about giftedness and neurodiversity in the 21st century. And it's the gwordfilm.com. So G-word go to our website. Com. It's like that's the that's that's sort of the repository of where you can learn everything about the movie. What I will highlight there is that we have six beautiful short films that are on the on our website. Because as I'm usually making a film like this, I like to make shorts just to kind of figure out my filmmaking style, the characters, this pacing of the editing, the music the ways I want to tell these stories and address these topics. So if you watch those six shorts, you're going to get a nice view of what this movie hopes to be when it's done. Right. Um, we are on a timeline where we're hoping to be done either later this year or early next year. And this is being uh, but, filmed in 2022. So either late in 2022 or early 2020. Yeah, that's we're in post-production now. So we're editing the, editing the feature and that's a long, beautiful process. process it's going yeah. very well. Um, but there is one particular short on our site called My Family Still Calls Me Gabby, which will introduce your viewers to Ilan, who is one of our trans characters. Which is um, a fabulous short I've seen already, and I highly recommend thank it. Thank you. So. And, and I involved Ilan in creating that short. Ilan is also an animator and an artist and has con been contributing to their story visually, beautifully with their talents. They're quite gifted as a, as a visual artist. So the website yeah, will also connect you with our social channels. You'll also see a lot about our, our impact campaign. We had a gifted, talented neurodiverse awareness week earlier in October last year, and people can watch webinars about a lot of different issues. And I actually had a webinar called We're Here, LGBTQ plus and gifted, right? Love it. And that was a incredibly, like it was like a cocktail party on Zoom. With I bet. <laughs> All ages, all genders, all all kinds of queer folks um, talking with each other about each other. I really encourage people to watch that because it was a very empowering night for the people who are participated. It felt historic to the gifted folks who were involved in it. And I'll make sure you get that direct link. But but yeah, right. we're on social. We're doing a lot of interesting storytelling um, on Instagram. You mentioned you mentioned a documentary, Real Boy. Where you'll will you send us some information to be yeah, able to access have, that? As well? I have several films that are kind of 
of, you know, buying about trans folks right. that I can share those Good links sense. and learn Super more about sense. those. And I'm very proud of that work. So I love it. All right. So before we wrap, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or something you hope parents will take away from today? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me. It's my treat to talk to you. Um, I feel that this is one of the most important conversations of the century. I feel like gender identity and gender expression is really the frontier of identity in this century. It's sort of like, you know, every other aspect of identity has sort of been on a sort of timeline since the last century. And it really feels like this is a frontier that is being sort of explored and worked out in real time is really going to affect the future of our of our country. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And that for parents yeah. who are out there who are part of part of making that history happen in real time, listen to your kids because they're pushing this forward in a way where we're going to learn so much about ourselves. And, and that really is a beautiful thing to be living through this moment with them. Yeah, for sure. I as a mom in this realm, all I can tell you is that I am once again learning more from my kids than than they ever learned from me. And that if I can stay present to that and open to that, I can see what this generation is going to bring forward for all of us. And it's a beautiful thing. And change is hard. So we have yeah. to all sort of support ourselves through that through that process. I am so excited for your documentary to be done, in particular to share it with, with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think particularly one of my kids struggled so much and is so brilliant and really, really struggled to see themselves as intelligent. Mm-hmm. And I know that that will come through for them in this movie. And so I'm really excited for that. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap, do you have a favorite quote or motto you'd like to share? I do. I do have a favorite quote. So my favorite quote is no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that's um, Eleanor Roosevelt. And I use that quote all the time. I start presentations with it. It's in my decks and it really just resonates for me. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. I love it. Fabulous. Fabulous. What a great way to to, to end the conversation. Mark, thank you for, for the work you're doing in the world and, so um, right and for sharing you. it with our community. And we'll be definitely in our Facebook community. We have a, a Facebook community for parents of kids with who are dealing with gender issues and neurodiversity. So we'll make sure that's available uh, in the show notes and, and all of your resources to, to that community in particular. Um, and uh, thank you. And to all of you listening, you're doing powerful work just by being here, tuning in, thinking about it, processing it, making those little changes day by day, you make a difference. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.